podcast. Joined by Shaq and Kevin, I'm Tori. We got a lot to cover this week. Uh, let's get right into it. Um, so last week, Formula One visited Baku, Azerbaijan, uh, for the first time since 2019. So, you know, Monaco was pretty chill for the most part. Folks wanted a little bit of excitement, and you got to be careful what you wish for. Baku definitely didn't disappoint in that area. So uh, Shaq's going to lead us through qualifying uh, to get us caught up on the build-up to race weekend. All right. So qualifying on Saturday, a little a little intense, a little different than most qualifying sessions. Uh, kind of got kicked off early, about four minutes into Q1. We had Lance Stroll uh, kind of crash into the wall at turn 15. Uh, it was a spot where quite a few drivers, even through FP or free practices, had crashed. Uh, so four minutes in, we get our first red flag uh, after that incident, and Lance Stroll's out of qualifying. Not even maybe eight minutes later, uh, we get another driver, Antonio Giovinazzi, crashing in the exact same place. Uh, so that brought out actually our second red flag of the session. Uh, f- they were able to finish Q- Q1. Uh, obviously, Giovinazzi and Stroll didn't make it through. And going into Q2, we lost those two, as well as, I believe, Latifi. And I actually don't remember the other two drivers that we lost, but not too important. Um, I think it was just the, the two Haas cars, actually, I do remember. Sorry. Uh, so, starting up Q2. Q2 was relatively quiet until a few minutes from the end of Q2 when Daniel Ricardo, who was sitting in P13 at the moment, or at the time, uh, crashed into the wall. And he was then out of qualifying, and of course that brought out another red flag with damage to the wall. So, just counting our third red flag of the session. We get going again, we finish Q2, and we make it up to Q3. During Q3, uh, most of the drivers got through their first runs. Following the first runs, um, <laughs> Charles Leclerc was on pole. Ferrari seemed to be doing pretty well all weekend, even though we had anticipated that they wouldn't be as strong as they were at Monaco in Baku, but they came with a very low downforce package and had really good one lap pace pretty much through all of the practice sessions. So Leclerc managed to throw it into first place with Hamilton putting in a really good lap with a huge toe down the down the straight to put it into P2, uh, followed by followed by Max Verstappen in P3. Now going out onto the last set of laps, or going out for the last laps, Mercedes sent Bottas out first. Uh, essentially, what we thought was to give Hamilton a toe, but then they sent Hamilton out at the back of the pack. So, Botas essentially just stopped before the castle section and forced Leclerc to pass him, <laughs> just so he could get a toe. Everyone started their laps, but about halfway through the lap, uh, Yuki Tsunoda and Carlos Sainz both crashed, uh, which brought out our fourth and final red flag of the session. Uh, because there was only about a minute and 30 seconds left in the session, no one was able to set a final time, and that meant that Charles Leclerc started up on pole uh, ahead of Lewis Hamilton and then Max Verstappen. Uh, P4, a little bit of a surprise as well, uh, was Pierre Gasly, who had looked pretty strong this weekend, but P4 was was kind of a surprise surprise start for him. Um, I guess notably also, Valtteri Bottas, who had struggled all weekend, actually started in P10. Uh, he just didn't seem to have the pace, the qualifying pace this weekend. And Sergio Perez started P9 right in, in front of him. Actually, that's yeah. a lie. He was supposed to start P8. But one other thing I didn't mention was Lando Norris got a grid penalty 
for speeding up and not pitting during a red flag. And that dropped him from his P6 qualifying position to actually starting the race in P9 right in front of Botas. Did Gasly take P3 or P4 to start the race? To start the race, he started P4. Got you. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks for the recap on qualifying. Uh, Kev, can you walk us through some uh, just some, some stuff on Pirelli? Oh, man. So, yeah, all of, all of these things actually actually involved Pirelli. Um, there were um, a few racing incidents that kind of put the spotlight on the tire manufacturer for F1. Um, it was a pretty relaxed, not relaxed, but it was a pretty chill race up until about lap 30 um, when Lance Stroll um, on the front straight um, actually had a rear left puncture and which took him straight into the wall uh, um, and he was immediately calling for a red flag on the radio um, because pretty much the way that the way that he whipped into the wall and did basically a tank slap into the into the wall he um, ended up coming back out into the front straight um, so he was immediately calling for a red flag and but you can hear on the radio like five six cars flying by him on the front straight before there is um a red flag or there is this and it's a full lap before there's an actual safety car um and at that point Lance Stroll was already like out of his car and like walking away um so that's the first incident he crashed on 30 um 30 lap old hard tires which was the um so Pirelli went with the softer compounds for this 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 um this race um and so these were 30 lap old hard tires um so that you know there may have been you know debris or something else that was picked up because um you know who knows so this ended up being a safety car restart now on lap so before we move forward um just with the stroll thing i just that was just for me watching i that was kind of scary just like watching him on his arm bar because he immediately starts saying like red flag red flag get me out of here and like that's just scary like watching someone who professionally races for a living just like just fear in his voice because he knows like he's just he's on the fastest part of the track these cars are going upwards of 300 kilometers an hour at that at that spot and he's just kind of sideways he's a passenger in this vehicle and he knows that hey the whole field is behind me like yeah get me out of here because he he was one of the last ones to pit, right? So he yeah, he was running in P2. Yeah. So literally everybody was right behind. Yeah, but that's that scared me. Like, I I felt that. Yeah, but. he was, he was legitimately spooked um, immediately after the crash trying to get out of, the, out of harm's way. Um, and on lap 46, on in almost the same spot, but in a different direction, um... We had um, Max Verstappen, who was at the time in P1. He um, had a left rear puncture, quote on, I'm doing air quotes, or failure, um, which sent Verstappen into the wall on the start finish straight, 
luckily to the opposite side of the pit wall um, which was coming up on his left um, and similarly to um, Lance Stroll race control took about a, a full lap before they actually called a safety car um, then Red Bull I forgot uh, whether it was uh, Christian Horner whether it was somebody else on their team radio calls for a red flag because now this is the kind of second puncture to happen on the same tire that was the same amount of time old roughly and so we've seen these kind of tire concerns before and so i think red bull was kind of out of the abundance of caution um just trying to make sure that the same thing wasn't happening to and wouldn't happen to everybody at a certain point on their tires um and so because of before you go on flag uh, yeah i i kind of wanted to jump in here because as a viewer right i'm watching this race up until this point and i'm thinking back on monaco and i'm like am i even watching the same sport because it felt like nothing happened in monaco which is kind of what we talked about and now everything is on fire and like it's funny because I'm pretty sure I remember hearing Shaq say something about this track, Baku, being harder on tires and that people really needed to not, not pointing fingers or blame or anything. It's just interesting that that the tire degradation, degradation and wear was something that was surfaced. And then we're seeing these issues that are directly related to tires. And I agree with what Shaq said. Like, it, it's super scary to see somebody in that position where they don't know what's going to happen next because they're powerless. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of felt like that Vince McMahon series of, of gifs where he's like looking, then he's sitting up, then he's like, yo, what is going on? Except with like panic rather than excitement. It was just really, really gripping and not necessarily in a great way because these guys, like, you're reminded that they're really putting themselves on the line. Um week in and week out to, to pursue this um so for me it's not so much that baku is typically hard on tires it's just that baku is a track where if something goes wrong everything goes wrong um it's actually not the first time we've seen tire failures i don't know if you guys remember or kevin if you remember but i think it was like 2018 valti botas was leading the race and had a and had a tire failure as well um i think it was one of his fronts not his rears i don't remember what side it was but we had that. It's just that Baku is... Things happen, man. I don't know. And this year, Pirelli went one um, one step uh, softer on the tires as compared to what they normally race on. So, now, the red flag... The race was um, red flagged, but it, <laughs> um, it wasn't actually red flagged until the end of lap 49. So keep in mind, Max Verstappen crashed on lap 46. Um, so now we have a red flag race that is pegged to restart from a standing start on the grid at lap 50. And the lap is how many? Oh, sorry. Is how many <laughs> 51. 51. <laughs> so now we have to complete lap 50 and lap 51 in whatever places you were left in when... Um, Max Verstappen kind of lost it. So, 
Hamilton, it was restarted uh, on the race restart in P2. Am I, am I messing that up? He restarted on P2. Right in front of him was, of course, Sergio Perez. Um, because Red Bull was really, really looking forward to that 1-2 finish and really like solidifying their lead in the Constructors' Championship. On the race restart, Hamilton... Huh. Immediately after, how do you say, um, saying um, before the restart that it's a marathon, not a sprint, and we need to kind of take things at pace and not be too aggressive. Um, it seemed as if he went a little bit too aggressive at the start and went in front of um, in front of Checo at, and took the lead at the race, only to then seemingly have overcooked it and having to go into the runoff area at turn one. Now what we didn't find out until maybe a little bit later on um, after the after the restart, there's a whole bunch of other drama in, this re in the restart, mind you, um, that he had um, possibly um, accidentally hit the quote-unquote break magic button, um, which is one of the kind of modes that I think different teams call it different names. Um, but basically, it's used to heat up the brakes, heat up the tires, and basically warm, heat up the wheel and warm up the carcass of the tire um, faster so that they get up to temperature faster. Um, and it seems like he hit that button, which loaded up front brake bias and meant that he had no actual rear brakes on that first turn and immediately goes straight off. Boom. Checo's in the lead. He's in P1. Um, on the... Can I, can I jump well. in again right there? Um, I think this is a great opportunity to point out that, like, all throughout this podcast, we've spoke, I'd say, pretty glowingly of uh, Lewis Hamilton and his ability. And I, I, I think that um, we have a great opportunity to kind of, uh, I don't know, give that, criti that, that critical eye to someone that, who, who doesn't usually come under that spotlight. Um, in my opinion, from he, he screwed up. Um, now I'm sure we'll talk about like the dynamics of the race a bit more and, and things that happened leading up to this point. But at the end of the day, you know, to be the best in the world, you can't really make that mistake in that situation when the stars have aligned to give you an opportunity to win a race that you probably shouldn't have won. Any? How's yeah. anybody? How do y'all feel about that? Well, he literally he 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 had the Hamilton look luck like the Hamilton luck struck and he ended and he P1 was literally there for him to take in two laps and I think he I think even being the best driver um, uh, I mean one of the best drivers ever and especially stat wise like the best he also being as I guess as racy and aggressive as he is he also falls into uh, lucky lucky quote-unquote situations but you kind of have to be positioned well enough to take advantage of those situations so it's kind of six in one hand half a dozen in the other but he got one of those here and he fumbled it and i don't yeah. think there's two ways about that i think i'll be i'm probably a little less critical about it just because i think before before this whole thing he was probably having one of his better races this season um 
I don't think I don't think Mercedes had had the pace if you watched the whole weekend. Um, I think he managed to kind of drag that car up to up to a podium place and looked like he could finish P two after the max after the max situation. Um, he it's definitely his fault the hitting that button. I it's to me just one of those kind of freak accidents that like you you don't even think that's gonna happen like you that's not in your head like okay a driver might lock up and and like like Kevin said earlier overcook it going into a corner. Um, so while this is yes driver error, it's not a driving error if that makes sense you know i mean yeah it's his but, fault he hit the switch for sure it's it's like an incident but, of like fat fingers kind of you know but, but yeah. do you think that and without getting too tinfoil hat right mm-hmm. do you think that mistakes like these are the effects of the cumulative pressure that red bull has put on them week in and week out to, <sighs> to be flawless i i think i think imola i think something like imola where he goes for that move on while over while like unlap or by while lapping a car i think that's that's a pressure thing i think this is just freak accident because you look at the situation his main title rival is now out of the race he he's playing with house money right now it's hey any points that i get is going to be over what max has this is free money i i think there was actually to me less pressure in this than than like anything else because it's like fam i'm either going to finish first or second because if, if he doesn't he get past Perez, being being racy like you kind of said he was so and that's another thing is I don't think he was being that racy. I think he took his regular start and Perez just got a bad start. I don't I don't think I don't think he got over aggressive. I think he was just a regular start. He just happened to get a good start and it's at that point it's like, well, I'm right alongside this guy. I'm not going to not, you know, it's not I am not going to not back out cuz there's someone in P3. He has to start anyway. I just I th- I don't know. I think it's a freak accident. Like you said, it's his fault. Like he can't blame anyone but himself. Um right. and I also think the fact that Perez was right next to him is what caused it because it I think him having to like twitch his wheel off to the side while upshifting is kind of what probably led to him hitting that button um so it happens I don't think this will ever happen again I think it's just honestly like a one-time freak thing and it sucks it but it's like you said it's his fault um no no two ways around that I don't think it was his worst race, even though the points will show it was his worst race this year. I don't think it was, uh, but definitely yeah. not from a racing standpoint. I would say from a result standpoint, yeah. But yeah. From a racing standpoint, he did his, he did his job. I will say though, good. <laughs> oh, um, just I have one thing. It has nothing to do with the, the the subject here, but looking at the f1 steering wheel to see how he could actually accidentally hit that button in the first place i was like i would i will never be able to drive one of those cars yeah looking at the the clutch and the what and the uh, what lever are right below where the the, yeah is. the gear shift and i think part of the problem is is the way lewis hamilton does his starts he puts his like right hand on the wheel regularly but then he puts his left hand over the wheel to like so he can feather the clutch like i guess precisely the way he wants to and it's just a weird starting position so i'm let i'm kind of going down the path that like it's his weird hand position and right where the button is um kind of led to that mistake but i mean i don't i don't know i'm not him so all right so speaking of this restart uh shack you brought um you brought some jokes to the the chat uh, about the race um, after watching um, Valtteri Bottas um, lost four places on the first lap after the restart and uh, somebody may or may not have said that they could have passed them on a scooter 
um, <laughs> during that lap um, and looking at it probably not gonna lie and you probably would have also passed Nikita Mazepin three times in that same uh, amount of time but um, Bottas just kind of fell down the, yeah fell down I think line. I think on top of saying that I could have passed him on a scooter my exact words were send him to the glue factory I I just <laughs> bro I listen I'm I'm gonna be critical and I know I just shot Hamilton Bale, but fam, Valtteri Bottas in the championship right now. And granted, at least one of his one of his races last last race was ruined by by the team. But he is in I think sixth place in the drivers' championship right now. That makes zero sense to me. Like you're in at worst the second the second best car on the grid. You're in sixth place. You're behind Ferraris. You're behind a McLaren. Uh, I I don't know I I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it's behind Lando. I mean, Lewis Hamilton finished in sixteenth place today or on Sunday. Valtteri Bottas finished in twelfth place. Valtteri Bottas started the race. <laughs> Valtteri Bottas started the race in tenth place. Tenth place. There were I think four retirements from the race, and somehow he finished the race two positions back from where he started. I I can't. Oh, yeah. How do you explain He's it? Just getting a check, man. <laughs> He's just getting it's a check not, until until no. this season's over and he can start anew. Don't, yeah. I don't think he's reached that point yet, Tori. I don't think he's reached that point yet. It's getting there, though. In my head, either two things happen. Either this is just, like, a really, like, crazy outlier and he'll be back to normal. I, I, do, I do think he's going to be better when they get back to regular tracks because I think the Mercedes, just with the street tracks and how smooth those roads are, I think that's not good. But... It's either this is just an outlier and he'll be okay in France, or I think Mercedes has told Bottas that he's not going to be back next year and mentally he's just not in it. I think so too because if you look at like the way he talked about his performance, the way he talked about being confident that he was as good as as good as or better than uh, his teammate versus his actual performance, those two things are not lining up. And I don't know if Mercedes has made it official, but I believe from my outside perspective that he's checked out. He's like, hey, man, this is a dangerous thing. I'm going to make sure that I get through these races safely. And then next year, we're going to pick it up somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, because he's not he's not a slow driver. He's not a bad driver. But I think this race and the... Maybe, or maybe it was Imola. That's where he crashed with uh, Russell. It was oh, Imola. Okay. So, yes and no there. I can't remember the race. I'll think of it later. But we talked about his sort of lack of raciness when in the midst of the pack. And the, that kind of lack of ability to make something happen. Yeah. And in previous races. And I know we definitely that was a talking point. Um, and this is kind of another instance of that and you know maybe they told him he wasn't coming back at some point after monaco before monaco whatever and he was trying to go out and high note we don't know it's all speculation but what is kind of consistent is that in the midst of the pack outside of any downforce concerns he still struggles to like <laughs> to reference a a 
great and timeless racing movie, he fails to shake and bake. All right, we're done, ladies and gentlemen. All right, that's it. Thanks, guys. <laughs> have a good uh, rest of your day. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I don't know. It, it, I, I was going to bring this up like initially, but it seems like that, that's... that conversation is... is Time. Yeah, I mean that's. I think that's always been Botas. I mean, even when he was with the Williams, he's never been. He's never been an aggressive driver. It's hey, I'm really fast on one lap. I'm gonna put the car in a good place and then I'm gonna drive. I, like, he's been teammates with Lewis Hamilton for five years, and I think I've said it before. I can't think of one time in my head where Valtteri Botas has actually passed Lewis Hamilton on track. It might have happened, and I can't remember. But someone has to remind me because I generally don't remember it happening. Whereas I could name fifty times Hamilton has done the opposite. He's just not. He's not racy. He's fast. He's not racy, if that makes sense. And when that's that's been fine for Mercedes when they've had like you know the best car by a whole second because he can just be fast in second place and they're fine, or at worst be fast in like third or fourth place. But when you're actually fighting for a championship and you have to be racy because you have a Max Verstappen and a Sergio Perez who both have very good race pace, you got to be racy, man, and he's 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 not there. And even when he gets back to being like decent, I, I don't think it's gonna be any different. I think he's not gonna be racy, and it's gonna possibly be a big issue for Mercedes down the stretch. Yeah, um, I don't know how much of a indicator this is, but I tried to look up Bottas passes Hamilton, and Google corrected it to Hamilton passes. <laughs> So, anyway, <laughs> um, also on the race restart, um, also it did happen once, 2019 U.S. Grand Prix. Gasly, um, also on the restart, overtook uh, Charles Leclerc um, on the final lap to take P3, which that was a fantastic battle between the two of them. A little bit of back and forth, the, exactly the kind of racing as people want to see out of, um, out of a Grand Prix, um, and Gasly got... Uh, onto the podium um, uh, during and... during that battle as well um, Seb Vettel took took the chance while Gasly and Leclerc were fighting uh, to pass both of them so I thought that was really cool too oh yeah man Seb back to his old 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 uh, little wiry ways that that was I you can you can be upset that maybe your favorite driver didn't finish the race or we didn't get to see the best go toe to toe on a restart or something like this, but this podium was, I think, a very satisfying one to look at just for what they achieved for themselves and for their teams. Um, Gasly on the podium, P3. Perez got his second race um, win and also his first with his new team, which kind of, which one will mentally. I guess put them in a place of yes, I can be that that guy that can hold that second spot and just increase the confidence that Red Bull has in him and his own confidence on track in the Red Bull. And then Seb Vettel getting his first podium since 2019, and Aston Martin getting their first win in F1 or first podium, sorry, in F1. Um, and Vettel getting his first with the team. So, I mean. Uh, so I can't be mad at that because I always like to see Checo win and um, I like Gasly and Vettel as drivers 
Um, I've been I've been watching a lot of old races, so I've been getting favorites out of out of those old races and how they've behaved. So yeah, it's a good podium overall. Yeah, um, I think this was probably my favorite podium of the season. Um, and I, I've seen a lot of people pointing out that these these were like the rejects at all podium because Vettel got dropped by Ferrari, Perez got dropped by Racing Point slash Aston, and Gasly got dropped by Red Bull. But also they're all either current or former Red Bull drivers, which I thought was kind of cool too. Um, so I, we kind of touched on this earlier, but we we kind of talked about it through um, different subjects. Um, but the reason there was a race restart and the reason there were red flags uh, during the actual race was that um, tires, tires were just blowing up left, right. Nobody knows. Uh, well, Pirelli knows. So... After the race, um, large cuts, cuts, which appeared to be from debris, were found in Lewis Hamilton's left rear tire. And, of course, Pirelli, just like Max Verstappen predicted, which I found really funny, <laughs> actually, um, Pirelli stated that the other two tire failures, Stroll and Verstappen himself, may have also been due to an object opening or damaging the tire in some way um, but they said they would inspect them for further analysis um, it's funny that Verstappen would predict that they would say this because again Pirelli is still under scrutiny for one their choice of tire for the weekend and two for um, what I guess you would say is kind of a they have a poor recent history of tires holding up I don't think we have to look very far back to see Hamilton finishing on three tires and winning a race. So um, they are trying to avoid renewed scrutiny into their tires, I think. Not saying that there was not actually debris on the track. There were two large crashes on the main straight where people would have been going the fastest. Um, so, and in places where it's likely somebody would, would run over debris, but also that kind of leans towards maybe the, the debris wasn't cleaned up well enough. I don't know. There's a whole lot, but Pirelli's trying to make sure that they don't, don't get too close of a, a, a look at, 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 at them, uh, this time around. So my question for you guys here is like how how on the hook is Pirelli for uh, for these I guess assumed tire failures we'll say um I think they were after after Verstappen I would say they were on the clock almost immediately just because of what happened in the two years prior um, as far as having tires be. Um, unreliable at race pace over certain distances and so i think that they i think they were kind of on they were already suspected and uh maybe in this case unfairly um but i still think it was valid for red bull to call for a red flag and so that everyone could inspect their tires but I'm not sure how on the hook they are for these actual failures. To me, it seems like 
there was some sort of like catastrophic failure which may have been an object but also Red Bull said that they didn't have any um, there was no leak it was pretty much in like instantaneous in, instant, instantaneous yeah that's failure. what I was gonna say so you know I don't yeah. know they're gonna do their own research so what do you think you know it, it if we look at this race as, as like an enclosed universe just this race here because I don't know the historical context with Pirelli and failures in the past but like to have two tires explode in the exact same way the exact same position resulting in the, the exact same type of crash and then for Red Bull to say you know with all these analytics and metrics and, and information that's constantly flowing from these vehicles there, there was no warning um I, I think we need to look a little bit more critically at Pirelli here because you guys are the tire guys. And you guys are the ones that said we need to go with this software compound. And, like, we're following your guidance here. So I, I'm, I'm a bit more stringent in my views on responsibility here because I, you know, if it happens to Max, okay, damn, that, that, that sucks, Max. But, you know, sometimes I, it's just not your day. Can I shoot Pirelli some bail? Is there is there a situation or a world where these three failures were possibly caused by maybe debris, maybe maybe one of the curves that the drivers kept going over that um that was maybe opening up their tire and that's why at some point it it failed. Um, my biggest thing is and listen, so at the beginning of the weekend, Pirelli gives tire tire predictions right like how long the tire life is going to be for the hard tires or for all tires and i think for the hards they said it was like either 30 to 40 or 31 to 40 laps was was like the tire window um for the hards now the bail i'm going to shoot them is that's what they said but also the track temperatures were very different to what we've had here in in previous years and only one team actually ran any long runs or even tried to run any long runs on the hard tire and that was Aston and long runs were all interrupted in FP3 because of a red flag so I'm going to shoot a little bell and say yes this could have been Pirelli's fault but if the tires did fail no one at any point during practice decided to actually like put them on for long runs and say hey let's see how long these hards are going to last when we know that they're going to run the hards in this race. I don't know. It, it might be a terrible point, but that's just kind of what I was looking at. Um, just to say, hey, maybe the teams are a little on the hook for this if they were in, in fact failures because no one really bothered to gather any doubt on how long they were really going to last. That's a fair um, point. You still have to do point. your due that's diligence valid. is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, that's valid. That's valid. But um, my point is, so, like, if you guys are the tire experts and you tell me something about the tires, I'm inclined to take your word for it. But the stakes are higher here. That's that's fair, so. too. True, okay. true, true, true. Yeah, you guys both have good good point. And so with all these, um, speaking of all these tire failures and race restarts, um, there's a lot to be said about the restarts and the safe cars that were called in after these two crashes. Yeah. Do you want to want to say something about this? Yeah, a little bit. Um so this race was while entertaining. I didn't really enjoy it and I, I know that sounds crazy because it was a pretty entertaining race and a big contrast to Monaco. 
Um, but it wasn't like when you really look at the race, it wasn't a good race. Like the first 30 laps, nothing happened. Um, outside of Perez getting a really good start and maybe Norris getting a good start, there wasn't really much going on. Actually, Norris didn't get a good start. He fell back three places, then started to recover. But there wasn't really much going on. And the reason this race was quote unquote exciting was because we had two cars crash like really badly on on a straight um, into cement walls. Uh, so I'll start there and just like looking at these crashes. So if we look at the at the Lance Stroll crash, uh, Lance Stroll crashes on lap thirty, like Kevin said earlier. Also, like Kevin said earlier, it took about 40 seconds for a safety car to be called. So that bothered me just watching it. Because like I said, he immediately, while the car is still moving and like rebounding off the wall, gets on the radio and is saying, hey, red flag, red flag, red flag. And then says, get me out of here. Because he's sitting in the middle of the fastest part of the track with a bunch of cars barreling towards him. That's immediately a safety car. I mean, there's no way anyone watched this race and has watched an F1 race before saw that crash and thought anything besides this has to be a safety car or a red flag. But for some reason, the race director, the person who's literally in charge of calling these safety cars and red flags, the person that's in charge of driver safety, took 40 seconds to call a safety car. Instead, they called double wave yellows, which makes zero sense because at some point you're going to have to call a safety car because, again, there's a car in the middle of the track. You have to recover it. And it's not like it's off on the side. It's on the road. Yeah, right? Literally, <laughs> literally on the road. Um, so I, I thought that was a bit ridiculous. And the fact that they had drivers, I think Pierre Gasly actually radioed in during the stroll, during the stroll uh, incident, asking why they were still racing and like why they hadn't been a safety car yet. Um, that's, that's insane to me. Um, and then to make matters worse, so that was stroll on lap 30. Less than 20 laps later, we get Verstappen. Basically, the same thing happens to him. And... This one, instead of taking 40 seconds, it took a minute and 29 seconds for a safety car to be called. Again, fastest part of the track. You have a car on the road. And not only do you have a car on the road, 40 seconds into it, Leclerc radios and says on the on the radio that it's a joke that a safety car hasn't been called yet. 10 seconds after Leclerc radios that, Max Verstappen is already out of his car, standing on the track. Live track. Still no safety car or anything. Still no safety car. I think it was, again... They had, like, yellow flags or something. He's standing on the track kicking his car, and it wasn't for another almost 30 seconds that a safety car gets called. Now, I understand, yes, yellow flag means slow down, but I can think of two very easy incidents. Um, One at this track, Roman Grosjean, literally crashed behind a safety car into a wall. And last year, or I think it was last year, George Russell, again, crashed into a wall at Imola going slower than than racing speed under a safety car oh, yeah, so now tell me what happens if that happens right where Verstappen was a car loses control crashes and masters happen to standing on the track how does that make sense a minute and 30 seconds is almost a full lap at this track which is the third longest track track on the calendar that makes zero sense that it should take that long to do a, to call a safety car um so i i don't know i was i was very bothered by that um i don't know how you guys felt but to me that's ridiculous and that's just blatant disregard for driver safety especially not even two years after we literally had a driver die after another car t-boned him no i agree wholeheartedly yeah i agree um, and I, I i echo those sentiments like i think i said this earlier like i i found this race to be very gripping and not necessarily in a good way because like yeah the, the crashes were like holy you know what's going on but 
after the initial shock wears off then the panic sets in it's like wait this is somebody standing on a live track and nothing has been done so plus one right and people still go on like it, hearing literally the entire field go by on stroll's radio while he's saying get me out of here and get me out of here red flag red flag and just hearing meow, 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 meow. like wait why are you not immediately stopping things yes yeah, I mean, it just makes no. I mean, that literally, you look at this track and you look at where those crashes happen, and really anywhere on this track, it's gonna have to be a safety car because there's no runoffs. There's a couple of runoffs, but you know, there's no gravel for the cars to go into or anything. So it's like, anything happens on this track, you know, it's a safety car. There was no reason for it to take that long, um, and so that that was weird to me. Um, I think what Kevin brought up earlier too, with the whole Red Bull asking for a red flag to be called because of concerns for further tire failures. Again, there's a person, or actually a team of people, in charge of driver safety that should have said, oh, wow, look, we've had two cars failing the exact same way because their tire exploded. Maybe we should stop and make sure this isn't about to happen again, and again, while a driver is standing on the track. Because what if someone else's tire fails right there while the stopper's standing there? In the same spot. We're having a very different conversation about this race, if, if that's the case. Yeah. And... Yeah. Um... So, so I don't know. I'm just and sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna rant, and I I think I told you guys before. I'm probably gonna rant about this stuff, but I just I have a lot of questions, and I hope that the drivers have a lot of questions for Michael Massey because Michael Massey, being the race director, um, who took over for Charlie Whiting after his passing, I believe two years ago. Um, I think the other thing um, was McLaren. McLaren during during the stroll safety car after they finally called it. Um, Complained that before the safety car under the under the yellow flags the double wave yellows Yuki Tsunoda Wasn't slowing down was basically ignoring the double wave yellows and Michael Massey's response on the radio, which was televised He basically said that all the drivers were ignoring the was ignoring the flags, so he didn't want to penalize them And it's like how which was so wild to listen to live on the first watch in here like wait FIA decided to play this audio right tv audience yeah so that was that was crazy to hear and like don't get me wrong listen i'm i'm nobody right i'm just a fan i just watch this sport i'm not put in the position to make these split second decisions but again when you're dealing with driver's lives and f1 is yes as safe as it can be but we have had two deaths within the last seven years jules bianchi in 2014 and anton hubert uh in 2019 so it's not like it's risk-free like people die you're in charge of that and the whole point of a double wave yellow is to say, hey, slow down because there's imminent danger on the track. So if you're just going to say, oh, well, everyone ignored it, so I'm not going to penalize them. How does how does that make sense? So you're just literally telling a bunch of people, well, you can just do whatever you want because if enough people do it, I'm just going to ignore it. And I don't know. It's, it's ridiculous to me. Um, and I think... <laughs> Massey, and again, like I said, I'm nobody. I, I'm not put in this pressure situation. But if we just look at the last two years of stewardship, I think there's a lot of questionable things. Um, if we look at 2020, Charles Leclerc did two laps with his seatbelts completely off and unbuckled um, and was not penalized, was not questioned, nothing. Um, it was literally just, oh, okay, cool. This happened. And we just moved on. Uh, Imola last year. There, 
Uh, during the safety car, the lapped cars were allowed to unlap themselves, which means that they're driving at speed to catch up to the back of the pack going around the track. And there were marshals on the track. And not only were there marshals on the track, the marshals were literally on the track picking up pieces of George Russell's car who had crashed under a safety car. So you're literally saying, hey, this guy crashed under a safety car, and I'm going to put people on the track under a safety car, even though they might crash? Like how... Does that make sense to anyone? Um, and then Portugal 2020, I think it was during either practice or qualifying, our recovery vehicle was put out on the track, and then the session was restarted while the recovery vehicle was still on the side of the track. And if I need to remind people, um, Jules Bianchi died in 2014 because he crashed into a recovery vehicle. Now, yes, it was a wet race, but still, like this is a possibility. So I, I just look at these things that have happened over the past two years, and I strongly question Michael Massey. I'm not saying he shouldn't have this job. I just think that there should the F the FIA need to like seriously look into the stewarding um, that's kind of been going on because it, it it's questionable to me. And even if I don't know, yeah, I might be overreacting, but again, it's it's about people's lives, you know. So yeah, I was gonna say those situ those um. Situations, decisions are much less uh, split second when you're sitting in race control uh, compared to on the track. Um, and that's kind of their job is to stop the people who have to make these difficult split second decisions trying to keep them safe. That's their that's race control's job to control the race, control the pace, make sure everything stays safe. Didn't intend that to rhyme, but it did. Sort of. <laughs> um, but everything that you said, Shaq, I think is, is spot on. And I am, when I heard that radio um, about uh, with um, Michael Massey um, speaking to was McLaren, right? Um, yeah. And basically telling them, well, nobody did it, so I'm not going to, well, everybody did it, so I'm not going to penalize anyone. And then double down on it again and like kind of like got sassy with it. It's like, what is, wait, wait a second here. Wait a second. What's going on? What's really going on? Yeah, I think, and I don't know, I think it also shows kind of like bad leadership when pretty much anytime he's questioned about something, he pretty much just says, well, I'm right and you're wrong. And it's like, you have to, as a leader, be able to admit, like, hey, I could have done this better or maybe this should have been done better. I've never seen that happen. Um, I don't know. It's like I said, I could be being overcritical, but I'm always going to err on the side of safety when it comes to people's lives. Um, well, I hope they, I hope they gave him an earful, and that's why he was sassy in the first place. I hope so. Um, but, yeah. Okay. No, plus one. I, I agree with everything that was said. Like nothing further to add because at the end of the day, the the policies and the procedures are meaningless if you never enforce them, and if it's inconvenient or uncomfortable to enforce them, and you balk. You're putting people's lives in jeopardy. Like, it's easy for me to sit here as a as a, a couch coach and say rule with an iron fist. But when it comes to certain things like how quickly we're responding to somebody saying, "Hey, I need to be off this track," I I think the room for error is a lot smaller. That window's a lot smaller. People need to be a bit more. No, a lot more. Um, I guess responsive. So, um, that said, let's move on to the next section. Um, let's, let's, let's do a, let's do a season temperature check for our, 
drivers that have switched to new teams this season. Oh, 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 can we, before we go to the temperature check for the new drivers, can we talk about Nikita Mazepin pissing off maybe the only person who wasn't already pissed at him <laughs> on the oh. final lap of the race? Oh, um, my goodness. And pissing off his teammate, uh, who is on record of being one of the nicest people <laughs> uh, in the pit lane and paddock, which is like crazy to think about. But um, Nikita Mazepin, in similar form to his F2 days, about to be passed because if you look at the race graphic and see his car in relation to everybody else's, he just you know, kept falling back and. I don't know if I shared that. Um, I mean, what, 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 was the, what was the timing? The timing board said like plus one minute on the next nearest driver in front of him. Um, so he he was moving slow, to say the least. And his teammate, uh, Mick Schumacher, was coming up to make a pass on the last lap of the race, get by him. And Nikita Mazepin pulled a last minute twitch, which made Schumacher of course react on instinct and luckily nothing else came from this however super dangerous and Schumacher really got on the radio and said what is this guy trying to do he's trying to kill us and he sounded actually very upset and laughing at the fact that wow was literally, if not for our superhuman reaction times I would have been flying over the top of this man's car into god knows what um, but it was just not a penalty, not a not a single penalty, not a not a license point, no no penalty, nothing. Yeah, and I know there was I mean, other stuff going on. There's other things going on, right? Things that maybe they needed to look at, but it, yeah, but I mean, you, you can't let you can't. I'm watching this, watching Mazepin's old races. You cannot let this guy do this here. Yeah, you I mean, can't it's, let him do it here. It's just another. Again, it's just another thing of them failing to protect drivers because you don't penalize a driver swerving at at 200 plus miles an hour right in front, like literally feet in front of another driver. But somehow a driver will get penalty points for for starting out of position. I think, who was it? Pierre Gasly got points a couple of races ago because he started like two inches outside of his starting box. He got penalty points. Didn't put anybody at risk by doing that. But a driver literally swerving right in front of someone that could have put them into the wall or into his own back, nothing. It's just, oh, okay, cool, that happened. Let's just move on. It just, well, I don't know. It's down. just, it's inconsistent, man, and it makes no sense. Yeah. I just wonder, um, like, at what point does he get pulled, or does that does that not happen in Formula One? Because it's not it's not just that he's not performing as a as a driver when it comes to like positioning, standings, points, but the things he's doing are potentially endangering other drivers and he is consistently doing them because he doesn't like to get lapped so well, like at what he's, point i'm sorry to curse but he's fucking dangerous he like uh, his actions are dangerous and sorry i'm every time he every time he comes up or every time he's the subject of one of these it's, it's like you said tori at what point do you get this man out of an F1 car? And is that even possible mid-seat? Cash is king. And as long as daddy's going to bankroll an F1 team, what are they going to do? Yeah. My eyes just rolled, and I saw the inside of my head. I uh, just want to let you know. 
um, because that's dangerous. Too dangerous. Get them out right now. It's and that's why they need to actually apply the penalty system in an appropriate manner. Say you get penalty points because you started out of position, or getting penalty points because your team told you to stay out of the pits uh, when you're supposed to go through. But then when and I'm not saying he was trying to kill Schumacher, but I mean when you're just putting in a dangerous move, right? It's one of those like Verstappen moves from when Verstappen first started that all the drivers have agreed shouldn't be done, and have all agreed not to do to each other. He does that, and it's just, again, oh, look, that happened. But it was on the last lap, so probably no one saw it, so let's not even worry about it. All right, so back to this tech temp check for our uh, drivers that are new to their to their teams this year. Uh, basically, drivers that have switched teams, or in Alonso's case, returning to the sport. Um, so, of course, that includes Daniel Ricciardo with McLaren, Sergio Perez with Red Bull, uh, Sebastian Vettel with Aston Martin, Carlos Sainz with Ferrari, and Alonso with Alpine. <laughs> Uh, so what are your thoughts? How do you how do you guys think these these uh these five drivers have kind of been performing this year? I think uh, Seb Vettel has really turned it around this season. Um, really impressive. Uh, was it P two this race? Mm -hmm. Yep, P two. Um, and even didn't he drive well in Monaco as well? Yeah, he went from in Monaco. I think it was like from P eleven to P five or five. Four or five. Yeah. I think five, because I think Perez finished fourth right off the podium, and I think he was right behind Perez. Gotcha. Something like that. Yeah, Seb has been, he's been killing it. Yeah. Um, so that's Seb. Uh, Perez, I guess, just won his first race with Red Bull. Um, and no matter, you can call it lucky because his teammate crashed out and Hamilton hit a magic button but at the end of the day to me you still have to be in that position to capitalize on those on those mm -hmm. on those situations and he was he ran a good race and he capitalized and hey it's killing it um yeah. what about what about carlos Sainz? uh thought he had a bit of a rough one today uh but i think overall for me at least i think he's been he's been decent and i think he's had a podium yeah he got a podium at monaco so yeah, I yeah, would agree science, with that. Science is doing well. I think um, I think maybe it's a little overshadowed because Claire is really, really coming to his own at Ferrari this year as well. But I think I was thinking about this. Um, was this was during the race or right after the race? It's like wow, Ferrari. I think have found a combination that will really work for them for for a while. I think. Um, not to, to say nothing of what their car is performing like, you know, next year or in the future, but I think they have a couple of drivers who can put in the performances that they are really looking for and also probably don't hate each other. <laughs> so that's, so I'm, and so I'm definitely looking for science to continue to improve. Um, then we have Fernando Alonso who... <laughs> before the season I said was going to be handily beaten by Ocon uh, not the case at the moment so I'm going to go ahead and say as so far I've been wrong there but he I think today was his best finish of the season uh, I think he finished in P6 uh, so good one there and then last is Daniel Ricciardo uh, former Claren bit of a rough weekend uh crashed out of q2 uh started the race in 13th 
Uh, he did finish in the points, finished in P9. Uh, but what do we think about Ricardo? I know before the weekend started, uh, him and McLaren both said that he had spent quite a bit of time in the uh, in the simulator since Monaco and felt that it had really helped him. Uh, so so where do we stand with Daniel Ricardo now? I would love nothing more than to be wrong and to have him show up one day and get a P, P4 or better, right? And be like, hey... In your face, Tori. I ain't been wrong yet, bro. And at at some point, it's not a rough patch. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a pattern. It's a, I, I, it's hard for me to say being so new to the sport and and just not knowing how long people go through like a funk, like a bad shooting streak in the NBA. Right? Is how I would right. compare this. But yeah. from what I've seen. If I'm if I'm McLaren, do I have some buyer's remorse at this point, or is it like, is it cool to say that this season in its entirety is what we're going to use to allow him to get acclimated to this new vehicle, and the next year the real expectations start? Like, I don't know where they stand on. That. To me, he's right. been mid. I mean, it would be it would be up to their kind of strategy that they have planned out for this year and next, and those are all kind of, you know transforming transitioning as the year goes on i think uh, now my memory's failing me um one team has kind of had to adjust their kind of had to adjust their targets for this year it might have been mclaren i don't think it was mclaren probably um, they were probably alpha Tauri, if i had to I guess think, I, I can't remember but anyway um i it would depend on how they feeling out this season do they really what's their timetable for becoming very competitive because this year they have a competitive car that looks pretty fast and that can kind of hang and at least be the head of the midfield and i think that maybe after this weekend maybe mclaren does turn it into a kind of year-long thing to see like what's what and whether things improve by the end of the year but it's kind of looking it's looking a little little ragged for ricardo right now i'm still gonna give him i think until the second austria race to to really show me like what what he's gonna be able to do with this car i think if after the second austria race if he's still really struggling then i'll be very concerned uh the reason i'm not as concerned with Baku is because I just think this is a very big confidence track because of the fact, similar to Monaco, you're on a road with walls right next to you. If you're not confident in your car, and this I think is similar to part of the reason Valtteri Bottas really struggled this weekend, is if you're not confident in your car, you can't push the limits on tracks like these because there's no runoff, there's no pavement where, oh, it's like, oh, okay, I overblew that, that corner, I can just keep going. If you outbreak yourself or do something bad here, you're in a wall. Um, so I think that's part of the reason he kind of struggled a little bit this weekend. Personally, again, I don't know what's in his head. Um, so I think getting back to actual tracks, especially somewhere like France where there's a bunch of runoff and he can really work on, work on things. Um, I think that'll help. And then definitely the back-to-back weekends in Austria being on the same track for that many laps will really help him get together with the car. So I'm kind of hoping for that. Um, I think we'll see a turnaround then, but again, I can't. I can't guarantee that. I think after Austria, if there's if he's really still struggling, then I'll be looking like, is this just a Vettel at Ferrari situation where this car is not going to suit this driver and he might just have to go somewhere else? Uh, 
Um, but like I said, I'll give him until end of Austria weekends for that. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of his. I, I want to see him do well. I'm always checking for his performances, you know. Um, but I feel like this always happens where Shaq is like giving somebody uh, some leeway and I'm like the hard ass. But like at, at the end of the day, these guys are supposed to be the best, the absolute best in the world. And that's, that's Daniel right. Ricardo changing teams was not supposed to be a pebble in the lake. This was like a, this was supposed to be a big move in in the realm of sport. And to date, he hasn't performed. Now, whether that's adjusting to the car, whether that's a mental thing, whether that's a tracks, all of those things can be true, along with the fact that he hasn't performed. They didn't bring him over to McLaren to get P12 and 13 or whatever he's been doing. It, like, that's, that's my stance on it. Like, if you want to be labeled as one of the stars of the sport, look at what happens to Paul George every time he has a bad playoff series. <laughs> playoff? Oh, man. Why is it any oh, different? Like, that, the expectations Danny come Rick, with, Danny like, Rick. the big bucks. Pandemic P. So, oh, my that's, God. that's where I'm at with that. I, I, I think he's really charismatic. I think he's a great soundbite. But can he get on a podium or can he get like close to a podium? Do you guys, do you guys think his, just like his confidence might be shot? So one of the things I've kind of, yes. one of the things I've kind of noticed is so McLaren like toted him as not their savior, but they literally said like, this is our guy. Like we tried to get him before he went to Renault and he didn't come, but we got him now and we're super happy. But since then, everything I've seen them do like promo wise and stuff, it's been Lando Norris. Even when they like did their golf, um, their special livery review for Monaco. I don't. It was just Norris that was in that thing, and like, yeah. do you think that might be like affecting him? Just like the team basically being like, "Well, this is our driver, and we have this other guy." Um, I don't. I don't know. Obviously, we're not on the team, and I don't know what the inner workings are. If that was a conscious decision, or maybe he was part of that decision to say, "Hey, I'm going to focus on driving and not doing all this other stuff." But is there a world where maybe that's also affecting him? I, I would not be surprised to learn that that has weighed in on his mental state. You know, I, I think that it's safe to assume that all of these guys are perfectionists. You kind of have to be to be doing what they do the way they do it. So I'm sure he's his own worst critic. And I'm sure he's beating himself up every time he turns out another middling performance. So, like, there's no doubt in my mind that he's, he's, he's dealing with, like, the mental strife of underperforming. But it doesn't change the fact that it's still underperforming, at least by his standards. So, I mean, we'll see how he does in France in two weeks, and uh, hopefully he regroups. And... No, I would love that. I would love to, to, to come up here and be like, finally, you know. But until then, I'm, I'm, it is what it is, man. Like, he's yeah. been, he, his, the performances have been forgettable. Before we wrap up, let's get into our, uh, our winners and losers of the weekend. Uh, drivers of the day, loser of the day. Um, we we got Kevin. Let's start with you. Um, loser, loser of the day. Oh man, yeah, I'll I might not ever get to do this again this season, <laughs> and maybe and maybe never. Who knows? We know where you're going. Season, but he's talking about coming back. But I'm gonna give loser to Lewis Hamilton, only because he can blame no one else for not coming home with P1 and standing on the top of the podium. Um, so he's going to get the biggest loser of the weekend. Um, but as far as the winner, the biggest winner of the weekend, um, 
I'm going to say, man, it's a really tough pull between Perez and Gasly, honestly. Um, they put themselves in the position to get these results, and I think I might give the, 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 the nod to Gasly just because he kind of made that place happen on those two very quick laps to finish up the race. So I'm just going to give it to Gasly. So I think my loser is going to be... This is, this is tough because I think most people did pretty well this race. Um, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, it was. Yeah, most people did okay. Um, I'm going to say my loser... <laughs> and I hate I hate to like to knock the guy, but it has to be Botas. I mean, again, he started P10, finished P12, and four people uh, retired. Three of which were in front of him when he when they retired. So it's just like I don't I don't know I don't know what else to say. He's he has to do better. He, this weekend wasn't it. I hope he gets better, but wasn't it. Um, and winner, I think the obvious choice is Sebastian Vettel. Um, I think going from P11 to P2 to me is more impressive than Gasly going P4 to P3. Now, obviously, I don't I don't know if the Aston should have qualified in P11, um, but I think the fact that Vettel drove his his soft tires for 20 laps when everyone else managed like 11 or 12 laps, um, I, th- I thought that was incredible. Uh, so I'm, I'm going Vettel. Um, for me, uh, uh, loser of the day is, is Botas. Loser of the season is Mazepin. And like <laughs> I, I, I find myself tempted to say his name after every one of these podcasts as loser of the day. And look, I don't know the guy. I got nothing against him. He's probably a nice guy. At the end of the day, no, he's not. it's one thing to be underperforming. It's another thing to be endangering people while you underperform. Um, so, yeah, I, I just needed to say that because, like, I always have to be like, well, who am I going to pick outside of Mazepin for a loser of the day? Um Winner of the day, I, I gotta go with Seb. Just from where you started to where you finished, I I wanted to say Gasly because that's my that's my guy. Y'all know that, but um, you know he did a, an inspired bit of racing to to solidify where he landed. But Seb started where and ended up at two by being crafty. Ah oh, man, yeah, no brainer for me. Yeah, he's back on it. He's back on it. I didn't wasn't trying to disrespect his effort, but I just wanted to give. Gasly, shout out! Yeah, my favorite ghost type driver. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of stupid. Oh, can't wait to see his evolution. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> oh, hopefully we don't have to trade for the final one. Oh, oh Jesus! <laughs> All right, we're losing Kevin. All right. <laughs> cool. So uh, we got no race coming up this week. So France is going to be our next venue. Um, and that'll be followed by two Austria races, right? Yep. Yeah, so it's a triple header back to back to back, three weekends in a row. So we're going to be some tired potters. Nice. All right. Well, that's it from us, everyone. Thanks for hanging out with us for uh, just over an hour or so. Um, Until next time, uh, for Kevin and Shaq, I'm Tori.